Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze, where we take a nostalgic look at a random football magazine from the past. I'm Andy Smith, aka Scott's Footy Cards on Twitter, and with me is Tom Brogan. Hello. In each episode, we'll invite a special guest to join us in trawling through the magazine and discuss anything contained within it. This could be anything from an article, to a photograph, to a competition, to an advert. Basically, if it's in it, then we'll talk about it. So sit back and let's shoot the breeze. Wriggles clear. Might just get the chip and he does, he's scored! Oh, what a great Welcome to part two of our David Fairclough podcast. We chatted through a shoot magazine from the 24th of January 1976 in a previous podcast. Now let's jump back in and continue on our conversation with David. Okay, next one here is Red's Robbed. So this article here could be just... um, sort of the, the, the stereotype image of Liverpool, but we'll, we'll read it anyway. It says, Someone on Merseyside is the proud owner of two complete sets of Liverpool's playing and training gear, much to the annoyance of the club. The kit was stolen from a van en route to the laundry. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, that that's that's just, as I say, it's just playing up to this stereotype, isn't it? Um, which, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not a big fan of those sort of things, but um, it's quite humorous, it's quite humorous. I think, uh, yeah, obviously, um, we we are uh, we, we we do have a, a reputation for for certain things on Liverpool, <laughs> but uh, sometimes you you look at these things and you think true or false, you know. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not I'm not convinced that's a, um, I'm not I'm not convinced. I haven't been around at that time. I'm not convinced that that's a that that's a true tale. Yeah, as, as you were saying about who was it that looked after the kits? Was it Ronnie Moran? Ronnie Moran. I mean, yeah, you they were. They were uh, I mean, more often than not, Ronnie's wife cleaned the kit, and the train the training kit um, never got cleaned from one one season to another. Well, <laughs> did at the end of the season, uh, the kit the, the kit you you had for training when you started it with it in July, you, you finished with it the following May. Uh, the, the only thing it'd, be, it'd been dried in the, uh, you know, throughout the winter, it was, it, it was, it was a, a, a serious health hazard. Uh, we're in, we Liverpool's training kit. Mm-hmm. I, I think if this had genuinely happened, you would have heard about it from Ronnie, wouldn't you? There would have been. Without, without shadow. I think the, the boys would have, even the boys might have stolen it themselves to get some fresh <laughs> kit because I'll be honest with you, the end of the week, the end of the week, Monday to Friday, your socks stood up on a, on a Friday. They were, uh, you know, they were, um, it, it was horrendous. Anybody that was at Liverpool through the seventies will tell you, it, it wasn't. Um, we you weren't you weren't treated uh, uh, like stars. Yeah, maybe that yeah. was uh, that was maybe one of our secrets. Well, we'll go with that. We'll say it was an inside job, shall we? That, that's that's yeah, exactly. Yeah, that sounds uh, it, it <laughs> sounds maybe on the on the right line. Yeah. Okay. So next one is about turn. So this is this is one of these little stories, like to the previous one, that we can maybe take it with a pinch of salt. But it's it says a funny thing happened on the way to Goodison Park for Martin Murray. The 17-year-old Irish lad who Everton recently signed from Home Farm. He was met at Speak. Is it Speak or Speak Airport? Speak. Speak. So he was met at Speak Airport and whisked away in a car before the press could see him. 
but a posse of press cars gave chase and caught up with them at a set of traffic lights. What's all the trouble? asked Martin. All we wanted was a picture of you coming off the plane, replied the photographer. Martin replied, no problem, let's turn back and get the picture. And that's what they did. All the cars did a U-turn and returned to the airport for their picture. Hands up who thinks that's what happened. <laughs> I remember Martin Murray because he came on. He came with a great, um, a great reputation. He was going to be the, he was going to be you know, the Republic of Ireland's George Best. Yeah. Uh, he was. Do you remember Martin Murray at all? Didn't didn't last. He he, he failed. You know he failed uh, very soon. He was a big strong lad as, mm. as Irish lads tended to to be. Some of the ones who came over. You know the very, you know well well built stocky well. You know, big legs and, and all that type of thing. So you can imagine he's he's been playing in in with with some you know lesser lads at uh, probably at some point. Obviously standing out, um, and they thought he was going to be a boy one day. Came to Everton, I say, I do remember him quite well. Um, fizzled out very very quickly. Hmm. I've got a little bit of information there. He did he didn't make any appearances for Everton, but he was there for five years. But he didn't yeah. have much luck either. While he went on loan back to Home Farm in nineteen seventy eight and he collapsed and was diagnosed with a faulty heart valve. The following year, while back at Everton, he ruptured his cruciate ligament in a reserve match against Leeds United. But he did manage to get back to fitness and played the rest of his career in Ireland, mainly with Drogheda, Dundalk and Crusaders, the last two of which he had spells managing as well. So he certainly didn't have a successful time over at Everton, but he went back to Ireland and, as you say, maybe it was his level and, you know, that he was happy there, but... He certainly made a career of it over there. Yeah, I remember, I remember him. I mean, we, we had a few, you know, we had a few Irish lads that came over as well, and um, often they came with these huge reputations. But Martin Murray came. You know, we had a couple. We had probably about five at the time. Uh, Ronnie, you know, maybe you could add Ronnie Whelan into that. Ronnie was was slight by by comparison to to some of these. Uh, some of these other lads, but do you remember Martin Murray? He was a well-built, uh, well-built lad, you know, midfield player. Yeah. Uh, so we're on the goal lines, and it's answered by Steve Carter. So the letters page. This is the letters page where each letter published gets one pound fifty, with the star letter getting three pounds. So that that will sort you out for shoot magazines for the the majority of the year, I think. In fact, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the one I'm going to look at is England over criticised. So this. Star letter this week comes from Russell Forge from Durban in South Africa, who finds it incredible that such a competitive league as the English First Division cannot produce outstanding international class players for the national team. He says, when I look at the names of the stars, I see footballers with many skills. My theory is that because of the criticism they receive, the players stop believing in themselves a little. The press is far too critical of England. They are destructive rather than constructive. The response from Steve Carter says, Criticism, especially when it's savage, must have an unsettling effect on the younger stars. Even when England has won handsomely, certain newspapers and experts have still knocked them. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Eh? I mean, yeah, we, we know, you know, yourselves in Scotland, we in England, uh, you, you, you know... It, it, everybody wants them to do well, and, and if you don't live up to anywhere in their spe- expectations, then uh, I think you've got you. You know, you, you have to expect that you're going to be criticised, and it's, it's the same whether you're in Holland or Germany or whatever. I think the main thing is with the, with the international side is that people see what is 
the manager is trying to do. And, and I heard a comment about Scotland at the, at the weekend. And it's also a bit of, a, you could probably level it a bit at England as well. There's a, a thing to, to, to look at. I mean, when Ramsey, when Ramsey, we looked at a thing before, when, when Ramsey picked his 1966 team, he didn't pick all the same, all the, you know, all the best players that were around in the country. You picked a team that were best in that position, you know. So, I mean, George Cole might have been the best right back in the, in the, in the, or the most outstanding right back in the country, but he did the job and he did what Alf Ramsey did and he wasn't scared to, to, uh, upset egos like leaving like leaving Greaves out of the the nineteen you know the sixty six World Cup team. I think too many players try and too many managers try and because they're they're scared of upsetting players, so they try and put them in positions that they're not comfortable with. In Scotland, for example, I have a, have a problem with Tierney and and Robertson. So you got to pick one of them as a left back. One's <laughs> the left back, and one's not. You know, if you try and play the two of them. Then you're kind of asking for problems a little bit. Now I don't know. I can't speak too greatly on it, but and I think this goes back a little bit to that. That this reminds me of of, of what's happening here. I think. Mm. I think the, the the comments about the press is, is I think it's fair enough as well. I, I I still can't believe sometimes the the way the English press treat the English team going mm. in, going into major tournaments just on the the day before major tournaments and and they're breaking these crazy stories and it's like well I don't understand the mentality behind it it's 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 crazy I think I think the the, the press has changed down the years hasn't there I think uh, where once upon a time you know you could keep certain things secret um where all of you know some time ago and I can't remember the date but even even the 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 better papers, the so-called, you know, the, the Times and the Telegraph, were also their writers were told they've got to come up with some juicy stuff, and you know, um, so nothing sacred these the, mm. these these days. It's, it's it's very, you know, everyone's looking for that little bit of sensationalism and something something different. But I think maybe years ago you might have got a a, a different type of critique from the writers of the Times and the Telegraph towards you know the, the performances of the of the national team. Yeah. So we'll move on to a, a better story about generous fans, and it's Gary Albert from Redditch, and he writes, As a West Brom fan, I'd like to congratulate my fellow supporters for their action at the Luton versus West Brom game. Knowing Luton were on the edge of bankruptcy, the fans had a whip round and raised £30, which they gave to Luton manager Harry Haslam after the game. Steve Carter responds, We on shoot goal add our congratulations for this sporting gesture. It seems as though Luton were always on the edge of bankruptcy um, but I'd, I'd love this idea of having a whip around and just giving it to the manager you know just as he's gone off the field or something like that. that's a, a great gesture I think I think it's fun. it is fantastic you know uh, and the level I mean from this you, you, you gauge you know at the time £30 in 1978 was seen as a you know a reasonable sum of money I mean it, it's kind of you know what, what would it buy you these days you know, an old friend of mine actually later went on to become chair, uh, chair, chairman of of Luton, saved them for for quite a while, and, and brought them into got them stable. And uh, one thing at the at the time, a, a chap called David Evans. So uh, kind of just after this period, so it was kind of uh, that's that's an interesting little uh, footnote. I've just um, thought that I know what Gary's doing. Gary Albert here, he's getting his three pound back, isn't he? Oh, yeah. he's got a pound fifty. He didn't get the star one, so he he's put a pound fifty, and then he said, "I'm writing it and look and shoot and yeah. get my money back." So, yeah, we can see what you're up to, Gary. We can see. So on to pages. What's well, the same two pages? But this is 
keep up with Kevin Keegan. So he says, today's players are fitter, faster and more skillful. So Kevin touches on the criticism that modern day football is not as exciting as 20 or so years ago. That it's all based on work rate and tactics over skill. He says that football was developing all the time, pointing to a revolution in football being when the Hungarians came to Wembley in 1953 with a new approach that saw them thrash the most almost invincible England team 6-3. There are differences in how defenders play the game. Previously, they would have been expected to be big and strong and stay in their area of the field. These days, they are expected to get involved more in attacking moves as well as doing their defensive job. A better diet, medical care and a tougher, more varied training programme means that players are fitter than ever. Now Keegan says, apart from the superior fitness, most of today's players are more skillful and intelligent. They have to be able to cope with the faster pace and more sophisticated tactics. Clubs now go to great pains to study their opponents, discover their methods and evaluate their players. This is the job of one of our Liverpool backroom boys, Ruben Bennett. He, f- he spends a lot of time watching our opposition and gathering useful data about them for Joe Fagan, our chief coach, and Bob Paisley, our manager. Now, as we can talk about Ruben. Ruben was a Scottish football player and manager, and he played in goal for Hull City, Queen of the South, Dundee and Elgin. And he also managed Air United before becoming assistant to Bobby Ansel at Motherwell. Uh, he joined Liverpool where he would become part of the famous Anfield boot room and he stayed at Liverpool until 1986 but sadly died three years later, age 76. So I'm guessing you, you know uh, Ruben very well. Amazing man, amazing guy. I mean, obviously that's that's quite a... You know, he, he brings back an awful lot of memories. Ruben was a, well, an amazing character. I mean, we talked about, I talked before about Shanks' passion and enthusiasm. Ruben was exactly the same. And um, he, he was hugely loved and respected by all the players. Um, Ruben would uh, would take training in Shanks' day. He was the he was the trainer, and um, I mean a huge part of of what went on in Liverpool through the sixties and the seventies. Amazing. I used I used to live close to Ruben. I used to take him home most afternoons. Actually, he never drove, and. Um, uh, so I'd, I'd often, I'd often be, be dropping him off every lunchtime. Really, a wonderful man. Really, really wonderful man. He tells some amazing stories uh, about being a goalkeeper and being one. One day he was knocked out unconscious, taken back to the, the dressing room, uh, and he and he, he worked his way back onto the pitch by climbing over a wall and, and getting <laughs> coming back on. You know, so he was just full of, he was full of these tales, and you think you know, you're true or false, you know what I mean? But he was just, he was just, he was amazing, absolutely amazing man. I think if you ever read any more about Reuben Bennett, you you, you know, yeah. he, he, he just make you make you laugh, make you cry, amazing. Yeah, I'll look out for more of him. So the article says, Liverpool's philosophy was to find and target weaknesses in other teams. For example, running an older defender or targeting goalkeepers who were suspect on crosses. And Keegan says, apart from tactics, there are tricks perfected by one player or a group of players. For instance, when Jack Charlton was playing for Leeds in England, he would move up and stand directly in front of the rival keeper at corner kicks, blocking his view and giving him problems. And Keegan does say that some players do get a bit clever and mentions Willie Carr and Ernie Hunt for their donkey kick uh, for Wolves against Everton in 1970. But he also says that the increased televising of games is giving the secrets away. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the donkey kick is, is a famous 
famous thing with Willie Carr and Ernie Hunt, isn't it? The yeah, yeah, Coventry against Everton, which the the league or the FA changed the rules after that. That the ball had to do a full rotation or something that because yeah, of that. And it, was, it was played by by two feet. Well, it was he played it with two feet, so he he just um, the the ball was between his his, his ankles, mm-hmm. and he and he just and he, he jumped up. You know, he jumped up so. Can only be played by one foot at, at the time. It, it, it did. Uh, it did create a. It was. It was a massive talking point at the time. Ingenious, but uh, you know, it, it, it changed the game a bit in, in same ways. Yeah, I, I love when new things happen in the game. You know, because you you think nothing, nothing, nothing can nothing can surprise me. Now there's nothing new that can happen in the game, and then things like that, and it's like, all right, okay, brilliant, that's great. Yeah. Well, I think it got. I think uh, well, it was heavily featured in matches. Have you ever seen? Have you ever seen it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even the the connection by Ernie Hunt was fantastic. It was mm. flawless. It was, uh, you know, it was great uh, from a Liverpoolian's point of view. It was great to see against Everton. So, okay. <laughs> well, yeah. a, another one we looked at recently was um, the Dennis Stewart, the goal for Man City, where it, I think it was Asa Hartford flicked it up for him. It was a, it was an yeah. indirect free yeah. kick inside the box, and he's flicked it up for him. And again, it's like. For me, that that goal shouldn't. It was a great goal and a great strike, but yeah. it shouldn't have stood because you, you you can't kick the ball up like that. You know, as, as you say, it has to also do a full rotation. But if you if you're flicking it up, then you're touching it after your initial touch. So it's probably yeah. been an indirect free kick. But again, great ideas, absolutely brilliant. Let's let's applaud. Yeah, that. you could you know in those days. I mean, sometimes referees didn't react. Sometimes because they probably weren't sure that what they saw. You know, <laughs> I mean, okay, the any hunt that's obvious. Or the you know the car, but sometimes referees these days everything's you know obviously TV and we got VAR now and all this type of stuff. But I think sometimes things happened and and referees didn't you know I'm sure I've seen Peter Peter Cormack take a free kick once with, with a bouncing ball and you know and just lobbed it over. Pe- pe- people did try t- tricks and you and you got away you got away with it you know. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm thinking of George Jordan when when we mentioned that with the the hand against Wales. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I was there that night. Yeah, yeah. Scotland, Wales. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's and it's never been. It was never you know sort of really taken much further. Okay, it happens. Wales were furious, but it stood, didn't it? And Wales, yeah, Scotland went to the World Cup. Yeah, I think Joe Jordan still denies it though. Yeah, Genuinely, he still denies that it happened, even though there's like <laughs> obvious evidence that he did. I like, it. I like, I like Joe, but I think he's, uh, yeah, I think he's, uh, he needs to come, he needs to come around. <laughs> to tell yeah. So we'll we'll move on to the next page, which is three keepers are competing for the England number one spot. May the best man win, says candidate Peter Shelton of Stoke. So may the best man win is the attitude of England keeper Peter Shelton in the race for the England goalkeeper jersey. Up until recently, it was a two-man race between him and Ray Clemens. But with the addition of QPR's Phil Parks in the recent squad, things are hotting up. Despite the rivalry, Shelton and Clemens are good mates. He says, We talk about different aspects of goalkeeping quite a lot, but there's something special about the position we play. He admits he watches for flaws in Clemens's play, saying, I think it's only human, although I have no desire to see Ray make a mistake. We all want to be out where the action is and look for errors which might may give us a chance. Shelton talks about how TV coverage highlights errors that keepers make, but says that it's something they have to live with. He says, when I see a goalie make an error on TV, I feel sorry for him. It's a fact of soccer life, however. Now, regarding parts, he only got one cap, which was against Portugal. 
uh, and we spoke about this before, but it was to make a second against Wales where Don Revy had promised him that he would play the second half of the game. But with the game nil nil at half time, Revy decided against the change and decided to leave Ray Clements on. Parks went home after the game and told his wife he'd never make himself available for England again. So that's a sad way, way to end that, isn't it? But Clemens, yeah. Clemens played 61 caps and Shilton 125. And I looked at their overall appearances and it's, it's, it's outstanding. Peter Shilton, 1,249 senior appearances. And Ray Clemens, 1,117 senior appearances. That's just absolutely incredible. Yeah, I think when, you, you know, when you're in this... You're in that time when two outstanding individuals, you know, in comp- competition for one place. I mean, imagine how many caps Shields would have got if, if Clem hadn't have been there. You know, he might have got those other sixty-one caps. So um, they, they did they did well in some ways to, to get as much of the action as they, you know, as each as each other each of them did. I mean, we were very fiercely in the Ray Clemens camp. I mean, he, he was he was faultless and. Um, I mean, a, a major reason why Liverpool was so successful at the time. Shilton used to tend. I used to tend to think Shilton was a little bit more. He, he made he made saves look a little bit more spectacular than he had to. With Clemens was a little bit no nonsense type of thing. Just do the job and then just sort of like, you know, get on with it. Get get on with his game. Shilton played played to the cameras. We we always felt. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't argue with that. Wouldn't argue with that. We'll move on to page thirteen here. So this is Jimmy Case. We're looking at. So it says Jimmy Case is the now the new sharp shooting star of Anfield's cop, but he once he turned Liverpool down. How you how young he looks there in that picture? I know that's a, that's a young Jimmy. That's uh, yeah, that's a good picture. Yeah, he'd be about nineteen there. Yeah, so three years ago, self-confessed Liverpool fan Jimmy Case was playing for local side South Liverpool and was asked to sign for the team he loved. He turned him down, saying that he needed to finish his apprenticeship as an electrician first. He did, however, sign on as an amateur until his apprenticeship finished before signing on as a pro. On the decision to finish his apprenticeship, Case said, I thought it would be best to have a trade behind me. I'm glad I did, but I sometimes wish I'd become pro earlier because there are so many things you can work on with full-time training. Now, talking about how he slipped through the Liverpool scouting system, he says, I feel the reason... is that I was so small as a youngster. Even when I left school, I was only about five foot five, and I think that put a few people off. He says he took up weightlifting to bulk himself up, and he managed to stretch a couple of inches in height as well. On Liverpool, he says, they have always been my team. I used to be a regular on the cop, but I never dreamed one day I'd actually be out there wearing the red shirt. The great Ian Callaghan was always special to me. It staggers me to think I now share the same dressing room as him. There's nothing better than scoring in front of the cop. It's the biggest thrill I have had in the game so far. He, he didn't have the best start to this season, half, having punctured a lung in a freak tackle at Birmingham and was out until November. But he's now striving to make sure of a regular spot in the first team. So I'm guessing he would have just been coming back as you were coming into the team. Is that right? Yeah, I, um, well, I played in the reserves with Jimmy. Hmm. Um he he's a little bit older. He's a couple of years older than me. Uh, I played. We, well, we trained on Tuesday and Thursday nights with Jimmy. I knew Jimmy, you know, going back to being thirteen, you know, fourteen, fifteen years old. Um, I made my debut. He, he made his. Did he make his? He'd made his debut before me, uh, but he didn't make a. De- he didn't make an appearance for for a while. Um, 
and meantime, I, I made my I made my debut. So we were we were sort of uh, we were pretty much there, in the, you know, pretty close to coming in at the similar times. There, I mean, he he was um, he was part of the. Uh, he came off in seventy. Yeah, he was. He, he got into the. He got into the team in in seventy five seventy. He got into the team in the in the in the season I broke in seventy five seventy six. We we won our first league championship medals that season. Yeah, I came on for him in the last game against Wolves. Um. Yeah. So you know. Yeah. Spent a lot of time with Jim. He was. And people talk about hard players, mm-hmm. and and I don't know that you've heard other players from other clubs talk about it but he's the toughest player he ever came across incredibly uh, physical and when he went to Brighton and Southampton his his, his, his reputation was even more enhanced I think mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to move on to the, the next article on the same page so this is 1975 a bad year for Brian so this is about Brian Talbot at Ipswich Town so the article says Brian Talbot was one man that was glad to see the back of 1975 after being knocked out of the FA Cup in the semi-finals before losing the league by two points. This was compounded when he broke his leg in the second week of the new season. Talbot says that the hardest part of coming back from an injury like that was getting the confidence in your leg again. While he was out, he was kept busy so as to keep him from being bored. From exercises set up for him by physio Brian Simpson to daily phone calls. Talbot has one simple ambition for 1976. He says... I just want to stay clear of injury and establish myself as a first division player again. So as a spoiler, Talbot would make a total of 23 appearances in the league and cups this season. But he did however get back to full fitness and went on to play over 800 games in his career. um, Of which 227 were for Ipswich Town. He moved to Arsenal in 1979 for 450,000 and played 327 games in 6 years at the club. He then had spells at Watford, Stoke and West Brom. In total, it was 803 senior games, scoring 108 goals. So he won the FA Cup in 1978 with Ipswich Town and then the following season with Arsenal. So he won it two years in a row with different clubs. Yeah. He he's good. Uh, he knocked us out in... Um, uh, he scored the... We, we played them in the um, semi-final, the, the one that, uh, I don't know if you remember, went to four games... And uh, he scored the deciding goal in the fourth game, fourth replay, the third replay uh, at Coventry, and they 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 won the cup. Yeah, that uh, that they went on played Man United, won the cup uh, in 1976, My first year, I went on holiday with my mum and dad to Butland Skegness, <laughs> and uh, and he was on holiday there with his right. wife in Butland Skegness. Brilliant. You don't get footballers in Butlands now on holiday, do you? <laughs> It says in your book you beat him in a hundred yard dash. That's right, yeah. My dad said because we'd seen him walking around, he walked around like a superstar in all kinds of Adidas gear. And uh, <laughs> and my dad goaded me into in, enter into the other hundred meter dash that uh, thingy, and he, he said, "I bet you don't beat, you can't beat him." I said, like, oh, "You're joking, aren't you? Absolutely no, no competition." And I did, yeah. I won the, uh, I won my heat. I mean, 100, 100 meter like sprint in in Butlins, it must have been about hundred fellas in it. So there was like all kind different heats, and then I uh, and then I won the fi- I won the final year. Mm. I don't know whether he remembers it as well as I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, so before we go back in, I've, what I've done is I've I've looked through from the end of seventy five through seventy six, and I've looked through the magazines for some 
articles on yourself. So if you're okay, we'll have a wee look through some of the, the things that I mentioned. So the first yeah. one is from the 22nd of May, 1976. So this is Emlyn Hughes, and he talks about Liverpool having just won the first division in a game against Wolves. Now, yeah. He says, Everybody on both sides gave all they had, and though the match was not a classic, it had a special atmosphere because there was so much at stake for Wolves and us. And once again, David Fairclough came on as a substitute to do a great job. Since Christmas, this has been Fairclough's year, and he's served us some brilliant and unexpected football. In addition, David has managed to score some important goals. So that that, that was really the first like little article I could find um, well, that, that talked about you. Yeah, so, I liked Emlyn. Emlyn was a great... Uh, he'd been a little bit of a hero of mine as well. You know, yeah. uh, it, it, it was great. It was, he was an incredible character and Sadly, I think, you know, he died too young, mm -hmm. but doesn't get remembered quite the way he should have been, I think. Yeah. So next one, and I apologise for, for the title on the next one. I know that it's a bit of a, even though it's the name of your book, but um, so this next one is Super Subs is the title. Yeah. And so this was 26th of June, 1976. And the shoot published an article looking, looking at a new phenomenon in the game called the Super Sub. Mm -hmm. And they said it would be wrong to say David Fairclough won Liverpool the title. But certainly, without his end-of-season contribution, the Reds would probably not have overtaken QPR. Fairclough burst onto the scene and became a household name in Merseyside in no time at all. Liverpool fans will never forget his last gasp goal against Everton, or his two against Man City at Main Road. His speed and eye for goals have made him a hero with the cop, and next season he should win a regular place with the champions. So th there we go, a nice wee photograph of yourself <laughs> in there as well. Sorry, can you just talk a wee bit about that goal against uh, Everton, David? Because I watched it the other the other day there, and it seems yeah. like a tremendous bit of a solo run from you. <laughs> bit of a, uh, it was uh, yeah. When you see goals like uh, Maradona's and uh, you know Giggs' <laughs> goals, had a lot of press recently. Um, you know, they kind of one or two people say, oh, remember your goal against Everton? And uh, thankfully, I've not been able to, for, you know, I've not been allowed to forget it. It's been great that people have remembered it so well. You know, Evertonians still talk uh, talk to me about it. And um, and e equally, obviously, Liverpool, any Liverpoolians that were there thought it was, a, a, thought it was quite, a, quite a decent, quite a decent effort. You know, it was, uh, yeah, I remember, I mean, growing up in, in Liverpool with this Liverpool-Everton rivalry going on, I mean, to, to score the winner against Everton, you know, whether or, or vice versa, it's one of them real ambitions. So it was great. To, it was a great, great memory that. Mm. So from the same magazine, there's a centre page spread and it's the Liverpool celebrating winning the double, having already won the UEFA Cup against Bruges and they completed yeah. the double with the win over Wolves. And shown are the team celebrating in the dressing rooms, and how happy do you look there? That's absolutely magnificent. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, well, yeah, that was our first. You know, Phil Neal, myself, Jimmy Case, Joey Jones. That was our, that was our first uh, title. So uh, yeah, it was it was an incredible night. That mm. it, it's kind of gets gets lost a little bit. Um, because of things that came after, yeah. but winning the league the way that we did was so dramatic. It was it was incredible. Mm. Being like just nineteen years old was, you know. Sorry, I guess you could argue that what came after probably needed that to happen first. You know, if that didn't happen, yeah. then what came after may not have happened. 
Yeah, most definitely, because this was Paisley's second season. And um, obviously, um, you know, he wants to achieve and he wants to do it in his own way. Um, and then this team, you know, you got Callie and Smithy there at the back, the, the, the two oldest, the older hands. Um, and, and the rest of them was, it was evolving, you know, Stevie Highway and Emlyn had, had been Tomo been there from, from the, um, from Shanks's time, but the, the new players were coming through, you know, uh, the likes of myself, Ray Kennedy, uh, Neely, J- uh, Jimmy. Um, so it was, that, that was a big step. Having been champions in the following year, you, you now, you know, you, you, you sort of, you know, we kind of carried it on because we won the league the following. We won the, the league the following season. It yeah. was um, it, it was a great, it was a fantastic period to be uh, to, to to be involved with. I always I always say, David, that the guy that doesn't get enough credit in my book for that era of uh, Liverpool is, is Ray Kennedy. Mm. What was what was Ray like to to play with? Well, Ray, Ray was it right? Ray was a little bit complex uh, character. I mean, great when he had his on. You know, when he was on his on his when he was in a good mood, but he could be really, he was the one in the, in the group who could be a bit temperamental, really. You just had to, you had to know how you, how to handle him when you were around him on, on certain days. You knew when he was a bit tetchy, you knew when you, you could, you could joke in his company and say, say anything. Um, but he, he had a, obviously, uh, he, he was, he was, he was naturally a forward and, and, and yeah. Bob Paisley had uh, managed to, to adapt him into this, into this left midfield role, um, and often when I when I was in the team, you know, Paisley would say when the play's building up on the left, for me to hang out left, and and Ray Kennedy would come in so many times on like in this inside left type of position and score goals, you know, on that sort of on the back post kind of area, edge of the box, and he would just ghost in Ray. He, he was he was great at what he did because he moved in his own. He moved in his own time kind of thing. He wasn't pacey in, in the slightest. But he had a great left foot. So the next one we're going to look at is an article from Kevin Keegan from the 17th of July. And he takes a look at his most exciting players for the next season. And he picks you out, David, by saying, a candidate for next season's shoot goal silverware must be da- Liverpool's David Fairclough, who showed in his handful of appearances, mainly a sub, that he's a star in the making. He really was out of this world against Man City in a vital league match at Main Road, scoring two of the three goals that demolished them. And they were high praise here. He says, I have never seen any other player anywhere put on such an inspired one-man show. That's high praise indeed from from Yeah, Keegan. yeah. I've never... Uh, that, that's the first time I've seen that. Mm. Yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, very flattering. What was, it, what was it like playing alongside Kevin Keegan? Well, Kevin was great and still is. I mean, Kevin is the most personable of um, of, of people. Uh, I've never seen anybody, you know, react to to, to fans off the field and uh, in, in quite the way that he is. So he, his feet are very much firmly on the ground, and he, and he he played with all that enthusiasm. You know, his energy was his biggest was his biggest asset. Um, he probably wouldn't have been the most so naturally talented player, I don't think initially, but I think he made himself into a into a, a much better player than than when he was when he came in. Even though he had so much going for him in his early days, he he just got better and better and better. Subsequently, you know, being European Football of the Year on, on a couple of occasions, 
But um, it, it, there was a criticism of Kevin sometimes. I think when we were, when I was coming through a little bit, he, he tended to want to take too much responsibility. You know, sometimes I might find myself in a position I've got the ball and he'd come too close to you and basically forcing you to give it to him, you know, whereas maybe you wanted to go and do something yourself. Uh, not all the time, but sometimes I remember having, having this memory of thinking that he wants to, he wants to be the, 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 the start of everything, you know, with, it, with, it, with his energy. And we kind of, you know, we let him to it for the most part. I mean, everybody fully respected him, loved him. Um, there was no, there was no animosity towards Kevin, but I think a few would have felt that he, he sometimes wants to take on a little bit, you know, more than he was capable of doing. So next up that sings your praises from the twenty eighth of August is Alan Clark. So right. Alan, Alan yeah. picks you out as a rising star in the shoot magazine from the twenty eighth August, saying Liverpool super sub David Fairclough is my selection as the best up and coming young striker. He has good yeah. reflexes and is very quick in the box and he knows where the goal is. He can do even better this season. So, again, it's yeah. high praise there indeed from, from Alan Clark. Yeah, I'm very, I'm very... Uh, I mean, you show me a couple of things I've never seen before, I'll be honest. Yeah. People never... You know, people used to have this impression of Alan Clark. I met him some years ago. We, we used to have this little bit of a golf in the X, sort of, uh, in, the, in the years gone by. And, and we, we ended up playing golf and I met him one day, spent some time with him. I'm like, Completely changed my asset, my thing to towards Alan Clark. It was, mm. He was he was a really really nice bloke. Yeah. So the next one is an article on yourself, which I'm sure you because you you've given an interview. You must remember this one. So from the 9th yeah. of October, it's an article saying that you always nursed an ambition to be a sports writer. Yeah. And it says it sounds funny now, but even though I was already on Liverpool's books, I never really thought about becoming a professional at the time. It somehow stayed in the back of my mind. I was sure I was going to be a sports writer and concentrated on taking my O levels. Of course, when Liverpool finally offered me apprentice terms at 17, I jumped at the chance. But I still stayed on at school a further six months to take my exams. You, you were offered professional terms after six months as an apprentice. And, and I love this bit of information. You actually signed in front of an audience of millions. Yeah, and you explain the children's TV program Magpie was doing a story of young footballers, and they showed another lad and me signing signing our forms for Liverpool. Mm. That's that's absolutely brilliant. Uh, and it yeah, it was. Yeah, somebody uh, somebody sent me um, a picture, a still picture of the. Um, I mean, it's popped up a couple a couple of times down the down the years, but the, the Magpie thing. Yeah, but um, not in its entirety. Um, but then somebody sent me a picture still of me signing me the thing with Shanks, which was like, uh, was fantastic. It showed up after I'd done with the, the book, actually. So I'd, I'd never seen this picture. And um, I, have on me, uh, I have it on my phone now. Yeah. I, I, I saw that one earlier on. Yeah, actually, is, you, you're at the side of them, aren't you? That, yeah. That team yeah. or something. Yeah, that's a great Yeah. Great and um, I don't know where it came from. Um, mm. I know a press guy sent me it, but... Uh, don't know who took the I don't have no memory of somebody taking pictures. So the last one we're going to look at here is actually from January 1986. So we're jumping ahead and I just want to know, this is one of these rumour pieces and I want to know if there was any truth in this. So the last one is about a rumour that Hibs manager John Blackley is planning a swoop for David Fairclough who has just left Oldham Athletic. Was there any truth in that? You know, I don't, I honestly don't know to be fair. Um, 
I had this little spell at Oldham. It was a little bit of a the, the messy thing. The, the, the book goes into the reasons I was at Oldham. But my intention was uh, I had a few inquiries. Wasn't wasn't I'm not sure that I was ever aware that Hibs were interested, actually. Um, but I, I had in the back of my mind interest to go back to Europe, mm. if, if I was honest. Yeah. So that which I eventually did, you know, went to uh, Belgium. Was there any, ever any other interest from Scotland that you were aware of? Um, you know, somewhere in the back of my mind, I think that there, there was something, um, and I, I'm trying to think, and I don't know whether or not it, this what might have been that um, that occasion. Um, I had a strange year with Oldham. I played, don't, don't, I was doing quite well actually. Not, I wasn't in the team. We had a, I had a bit of a fallout with Joe Royal, but. Um, you know what? I, I think somewhere in the back of my mind, I, this this is is coming through. I think I think um, that might have been the uh, that might have been the occasion. Mm-hmm. I was linked to Scotland. I found out some years some years ago later, and I've only told a few people at the golf club actually. But my grandmother was Scottish, right? And we 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 only it was only only really no, the, the 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 family knew and all that happening. But only it's only in the last five years that we fully that we realised that my grandmother was. Oh, really? was, a, was so we we could have captured. You could have, could have been, yeah, could have been. Uh, they, they've claimed me at the golf club anyway. I, I play in the, in the home internationals. The the captain of the the Scots has me. Uh, he has me uh, all tapped up. Yeah. Well, listen, and, if if you'd even visited, we would have claimed you. So. And when you were at Oldham, uh, David, you scored two goals against Liverpool, didn't you? I did, yeah, in the in the League Cup. Yeah. yeah what what was that feeling like? It was brilliant, you know. And I got a couple of pictures of it, and it it wasn't the way the the the, uh, the League Cup is these days. And teams we can see this was the mm-hmm. Liverpool's double year, and uh, they were they were full they were they were in full um, full first team. You know, Bruce in goal, Laro at the back. Rush, and, yeah. Alan Hansen and Rushy and everybody. Yeah, so scoring two against Liverpool was brilliant. Yeah, it was uh, it was really good fun. I enjoyed it. Excellent. So we'll, we'll delve back into the... Unless you have any questions, Tom, we'll delve back into the magazine. Uh, no, let's go back. In fact, before we go in, so we have a, a charity partner with the podcast, David, um, which is the Western Bartonshire Community Food Share. And so I'm just going to give a little readout for what they do. So this is a charitable organisation that provides various services and support to the local community, including the following. School uniform bank, a school holiday brunch bags, food provisions, Christmas toy bank, cooking and growing lessons and a baby bank. Now they provide essential support to the local community and supporting individuals and families and we will be looking to support them in any way we can through the podcast. This will include drives for donations of food, money and support in the form of volunteers. We'll also be raising awareness of the group to highlight the work that they do, but also to ensure that families and individuals who can benefit from the group are aware that these vital services actually exist. And you can follow them on the Western Bartonshire Community Food Share group on Facebook or keep an eye on their Twitter accounts at shoottb underscore podcast and Scott's Footy Cards for updates and news on our charity partner. So one of the things we do with the, the, the podcast is we have a web page for it as well. And on the web page, we basically put all the, the magazine clippings and photographs and everything that we talk about. So, I mean, somebody's listening to the podcast, they can follow along and look at the articles like we are doing as well. And um, One of the things we do as well is we, we put a donate button on there that for every pound that you donate, you get a virtual raffle ticket. And when we draw that, the winner will get a goodie bag and it will contain the 
the original magazine that we've been going through as well as some other goodies as well so i'll, I'll put in right. some cards and stickers from the collection um so that that the money for that will go to the the western bartonshire community food share so what we'll also do no and we'll, we'll touch on what you what you're up to as well but if you have any links any web pages or charities yeah. that you you support yourself then when we're doing the web page we'll be in contact get those and make sure that we put them on the web page as well okay so if we jump back into the magazine i'm just going to jump a few more pages again so i'm going to look at this we're at page 25 it is i'm going to there's a black and white team photo of Barry, and mm. we're going to have a wee quick look at that because there's a couple of interesting names in here so the players in three rows the kit is a white shirt with i'm presuming blue collar shorts and yeah. socks because i think that's Barry's colors so the first one i'm going to look at is jerry keenan who plays for he was a liverpool youth and played for skelmersdale and he started at Barry in 1975. derek mm. spence who would be going to make 26 appearances for northern ireland the first yeah. of which came while he was actually at Barry. Mm. and next is jimmy nicholson another Northern Ireland international, although he'd amassed all of his 41 caps before joining Bury. He was previously with Man United and Huddersfield Town. I think it's just absolutely incredible that Bury had two, at least two, you know, Northern Ireland internationals yeah, in their team yeah. at this point. Next, next player, Andy Rowland, who would play 287 league games for Swindon. Uh, Billy Rudd, who I've, I've seen photos of Billy before. He, he looks a, a rough character, but he'd spelled it <laughs> at York, Grimsby, Rochdale and Bury. And the last one is George Buchan, who's the brother of Martin, who played for Man United. And, he looks like him, yeah. Yeah. Who Actually, George had three games for Man United. Uh, he played 29 times for Aberdeen, but he had three games for Man United before moving to Bury as well. Yeah, I, th I thought I'd just pick on a few of those. Um, well, Alan Kennedy's brother's on the back, the right side. Keith Kennedy. All oh, right. Uh, ah. You mentioned it. You can see the likeness there. Played, you played a million games for them. I think he was there. I think he was the most ever. Uh, God, I think. Well, this was seventy eight. I don't think he played. He went. He played all his career here mm -hmm. at Berry. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's a yeah. Good, good spot. I'm, I'm. I'm just disappointed I missed that one. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah yeah so we'll, we'll look at the next page which is a focus on of alan kennedy and look at yeah. that little face that's a that's a little no no wonder he had a mustache <laughs> I've, I've i've highlighted this because he's either had a bit of a hit in his lips or that's maybe a, a sore from kissing the lasses yeah. or something I maybe. Know. yeah 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 so let's take a look through some of the answers his favorite player was terry cooper uh, his favorite other team was Barry, which is strange because he, he was from sunderland and uh, that's because his brother played, you see. Right, okay, yeah, that all makes sense now. That, that, <laughs> of course. Uh, his biggest thrill was playing for England under 23s, and he would go on to get two full caps. His biggest disappointment, losing to Liverpool in the 1974 FA Cup final and having to withdraw from the full England squad due to injury. Best country visited Norway. I'm a big fan of that. Favourite... Yeah, he's probably, that's probably still his best country. He's there a lot. Yeah. Likes Norway, Al. Oh, I love I love Norway. I've got family over there. And yeah, it's a great, yeah, it's a great place. place. Yeah, favorite food, of course, it's steak. Yeah. Uh, professional, uh, professional ambition to be a full international. And which person in the world would you most like to meet? Scottish comedian Billy Conley. That's all oh, right. Uh, that's a good shout. That's that a, a good shout. Mm, very good shout. So, 
your memories of Alan? Oh, plenty of memories. Alan's one of my closest uh, closest mates. I see Alan probably more than most of the ex players. He only he lives down there. Doesn't live far too, far away. Um, played with him in. I think I played with him in this match. I think that's um, that's an England B. Right, England B kit. Um, I've I've seen a photograph. I've seen a photograph of you in the, in the same the same kit as well. So yeah, it's England B international yeah. that. Uh, I'm I'm pretty sure played West Germany, and uh, loads of memories of Al. Very close um, to Al. He's daft as a brush. <laughs> um, always was, still is. Um, and yeah, he, he's just uh, he's a good lad. Big heart, Alan. He do, does a lot for, you know. He he's one of those that that if people are looking to to to, to ask players to do something. Alan's one of your the very very first who you'll yeah. you'll ask. You know he's he's, he's massively uh, supportive of everything and anything. Very keen still, um, but just daft. <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, no good 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 lad, good heart, great heart, Alan. And and does he say he meant that shot in the nineteen eighty one European Cup final? Well, yeah, he says he says he saw that he thought the goalkeeper didn't think he was gonna uh, the goalkeeper didn't think he was gonna shoot because he didn't have any reputation. He tells a good story actually. <laughs> he says like, "What am I doing?" He said, "I only ran out the way just to move <laughs> space." Ray Kennedy decides to throw it, hits him on the chest, goes that far forward. He's got nowhere else to go now. He's just got to go and try and get the ball. Centre off, try and takes him out, misses him. Now the goalkeeper's thinking, "Well, he's not. He won't shoot." <laughs> and he and he did. He he, yeah, he tells a little thing that uh, David Johnson's the first player to him, and uh, and he says to me, "Why did you pass to me? Why did you pass to me?" And he <laughs> says, "David, he said if I'd passed to you, he said we'd still be playing." <laughs> so, uh, even though he was only about a yard out, yeah. so uh, but he's he's a legend. Yeah, he, he really has. I mean, he'd been hugely popular with people, Alan, uh, because of. You know, he achieved, you know, achieved and scoring that 81 goal and scoring that penalty. That mm-hmm. 84, 84. 84. Yeah. yeah, amazing. Okay. Brilliant. Okay, so just moving on, I'm just going to jump to the second last page. So this is a club call with Aberdeen. So Shoot says that the first season of the new Scottish Premier League has not been the conspicuous one for Aberdeen. While in no danger of winning the league, they also say that they're in no danger of actually being relegated, citing that 2-0 victory over Celtic and a 1-0 win away against Rangers as the highlights of the season. Now, just as a wee spoiler, Aberdeen would actually finish fourth from the bottom, but were on the same number of points as Dundee, who got relegated. Dundee United were also on 32 points, but Dundee had a much worse goal difference. It was minus 13 compared to Aberdeen's minus one. So on this page, there's a picture of Ali McLeod, and the other club officials are mentioned as well. There's also last... Last season's goal scoring record is shown with Arthur Graham as the top scorer with 11 league goals. The bottom photo shows keeper Bobby Clark going down in a challenge with a Motherwell player while Willie Miller looks on. So that, mm. not, not that he looks at but that's a very young Willie Miller in there. Yeah, it is, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. The record fee that is mentioned as well, paid for a player, was £70,000 for Drew Jarvey from Airdrie and... £180,000 was the fee received for Joe Harper to Everton, also in 1972. So the two records were back in 72, 70000 for Drew Jarvey from Airdrie and 180000 for Joe Harper to Everton, who then obviously came back and joined Hibs, I think, when he came back to Scotland. 
So on the back page, let's put this the right way, we have a full team colour photo of Aberdeen and the Aberdeen team is in two rows. The kit is all red with white collar and cuffs and there's a white stripe down the side of the shorts and a large white band around the top of the socks. Now Joe Smith on the front row looks as if he's wearing a pair of Sambas. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So then Duncan Davidson and here he's wearing a pair of boots that look like mitre. I think those are mitre. Mitre, yeah. Maybe Buckter even, maybe. Mm. Mm. Was, was Duncan Davidson at Toronto at the same time? He was, as... I was going to say, when you said then, I said that uh, Duncan from uh, from Toronto. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll come back to him in a wee second. I'll just... So the Billy Peary is wearing a pair of style matchmakers. Yeah, yeah. And the last pair of boots I want to look at is uh, Walker McCall's because those feet are absolutely enormous. And you see the size <laughs> of those feet compared to Billy Peary's beside yeah. them. It's, it's like twice the size. It really is. Yeah. What What were your boots? I was only what, size eight. What, what was your boot of choice? Or would it have been Adidas? When I when I broke in, I was always wearing. I was. Uh, yeah, as a young lad, I, I, I had Adidas and Puma. I had, mm. I had a pair of Adidas, a pair of Puma. Now, as I came into the professional um, thing, I um, I was wearing Adidas. And towards the end, and we were getting to the UEFA Cup final, Emily Hughes, Emily Hughes was a big goaler man. Yeah. And uh, so he said, look, you know, he was, in, he, was, he was well in with the guy from goaler, a guy called Anton, who was the uh, rep for them. And he said, like, he said, if you if you, if you dock your, doctor your boots up to make goal for the UEFA Cup final, you get like some, like 250 quid or something off Anton. So bloody hell, you know. <laughs> so off they went. The boots went off to the cobblers and they came back with the, the yellow goaler stripes on. In fact, I've seen a picture, I've seen a picture in in in, in the later on in the past. And you can see the Adidas boots <laughs> with the with the goaler, the goaler stripes <laughs> added, you know, and, and yellowed up for the uh, for the game, but it was it was a few bob in your pocket, you know, in in, uh, in those days. Um, they're all the tricks. Uh, and then I went, and then I went Adidas. Adidas came back to me the following year, and I was on a signed contract then with Adidas for for years, until about um, eighty one, eighty two. And Kenny was Puma at that point, yeah. and he said, you know, um, the the Puma rep wanted another Puma player in the team. And he said, would I would I go over? So I went over to Puma. So, uh, so me and Kenny were, me and Kenny did, did a couple of things with Puma, which was quite quite good for me, really. Just you know, give me a little bit of extra profiling. Mm. I think yeah. that the, there used to be there was there was a Celtic team photo when Kenny was still there, and I think it was Stylo Matchmakers. It was the advert, and yeah. Kenny because he he was probably still Puma then as well. He had the 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 Stylo bag. In front of his feet, so he couldn't actually see what he yeah. was wearing. So I the boots. Yeah. It's, it's incredible that they went to that sort of level of detail back then as well. I mean, they, later on, they, the the company started uh, to having pictures taken and and seeing the soles of your shoes and 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 giving giving warnings, saying you know you're wearing right. you're supposed to be wearing Gola boots, but you're wearing Adidas boots. Mm. Uh, that was that was that was that became a little bit of a a thing soon after. So I, I was I was um, I wore Adidas when I went to um, Belgium, but we were contracted to Patrick, right. and I had to have them doctored up to make them look like Patrick boots. It was like 
because I couldn't wear a pair of pants. I couldn't the ones we were they were being asked to. I couldn't wear. The, I just couldn't wear the Patrick boots. Mm. I think. I think the 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 story we've spoke about before, Tom, was uh, Alan Ball. Alan Ball, yeah. With his white boots, yeah. and I think he, he did the same thing where he, he painted a pair of Adidas white. Yeah. And they, they eventually, I think they eventually made him a, a, a proper pair of boots. But yeah, that is, is certainly, a, I'm guessing that that is something that probably happened. From, from what you're saying, yeah. it probably happened, was more common than I'd imagined. Yeah, it was, it was very common to the, the boots being doctored up. Tommy Smith tells a, used to tell a story, I think it was Kevin Keegan tells it, and he, he said he was asked, Alan Ball starts wearing all white boots. So they came to uh, Tommy Smith, to Kevin Keegan, asked him if he would wear all red Hummel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, thinking, well, that would be a great, uh, great thing, all red kit and everything. And Kevin asks Smitty what he what he thinks. So he said, you're joking, aren't you wearing red boots and all this type of thing? Uh, he said, well, he wants somebody to wear the red boots. So he put Kevin off. Uh, a couple of weeks later, he was wearing red boots. Thomas, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had the guts to tell Tommy that he looked after him, but I mean, I mean, but he had the you know he had the persona to carry it all off, and then that, that's that's true. Yeah. Yeah, he, he wore he wore red boots for a while, Tom. Mm. I've, I've I've got a an, an advert photo of those, and they they actually I don't know if it was just the advert, but they look pink in it. So I'm I'm guessing Tommy Smith wouldn't have worn them if they'd arrived and looked. Pinker than red. Uh, yeah, they weren't. They weren't sort of like Liverpool red, um, but they were. They were red. Uh, yeah. You know, red with the white with the white stripes. Mm. And um, I mean, he was, he was kind of the top man there at the time. Smithy he was most. Even though Kevin was the glamour boy and everything, Smithy was the like the boss type of figure around the place. You know, the loudest and the yeah. most outspoken. Mm. Okay, so let's have a look at some of the players that are in here. So we have. At the yeah, back, we've got Drew, Drew Jarvie, yeah. Willie Miller, Davy Robb. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if Davy Robb had a spell at Norwich City. I think yeah, he'd, he'd yeah. been he'd been to the States as well. And, yeah. Uh, then we've got Bobby Clark, who has spent a, a large portion of his life out in the States as well. And I don't know if you can see it in the end there, Willie Young, who's going to play with Spurs. Yeah, Arsenal he looks, and Forest. Looks five inches bigger than everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> Just a bit. The next one to look at is Arthur Graham who played for Leeds United, Man, Man United and Bradford City before coming coming back yeah. up here. Uh, Duncan, so let's have a wee look at Duncan. He played in the US, yeah. Tulsa Rednecks and Toronto Blizzard between 81 and 82. He did, yeah. He had a tash by the time I was there. Yeah. Little dark black moustache. Yeah. Just going to say, what was the experience of playing in the, the NESL like? Well, it, it, it was... Um, you know, I said like before, I think when you think you've played for Liverpool and, or not you personally, but I think people think you're going to go over the, to somewhere like Toronto and eat it up and, and yeah. make it look easy. It was tough. We played on, we played on AstroTurf. My first game was, um, was against Van, Vancouver Whitecaps, who were one of the favourites at the time. We beat them 3-0 over there. Had a good, had a good game. It was a good start for, you know, as a first debut Someone told me afterwards I got two assists. I don't know what assists were at the time. <laughs> assists. I was bothered about assists. It's all about scoring goals, not sort of like uh, laying them on. Um, but we had a good, we had a good win. The next games were in were in Toronto, and it was kind of wintry in Toronto still. It was early August, early April, early August, um, early April, and our pitch was it was like playing on the street. It was that. It was that 
hard the, the astroturf it took a little bit of getting used to really and i don't think i really you know i found them quite critical of me in, in, in the first couple of games mm. uh it became a little bit became a little bit difficult and, until i scored start, I scored a few and then i found a position that suited me more playing on astroturf i was more suited to playing as a as a left winger than than, than as a center forward you know um, it, was, it was interesting everywhere you went it was a different pitch you go to mm. you go to Tampa it was lovely grass you go to Chicago and it's half grass half shale you know because <laughs> you played on a, a on a, a baseball diamond diamonds, yeah. so it, not, nothing was ever the same it was always an experience and it, it was a leveler really you know you, you couldn't say you could we could say we'd beat Chicago at home but we wouldn't beat them on their patch and you know that, that was the kind of the way we had, had a couple of great wins against uh, Cosmos. Cosmos went yeah. quite the team. They, 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 I don't know whether they underperformed, but we, we were yeah. we were in the same division as Cosmos. And we had a we had a couple of good wins against Cosmos. It was great, great experience. It was good. Well, still a day. Tinalia playing with them then. Tinalia was playing, yeah. And Steve yeah. Hunt was outside left for uh, Naskins was on the right. Yeah. You know, he was he, he was wide right for Cosmos. I was wide left for. So, I mean, I had to track back with and and, and be careful. You know, Naiskins was great going forward, but going the other way, he, he kind of gave me free license, which was you know he, he didn't chase me back, which was uh, <laughs> which was good, nice, good, nice experience. Yeah, great stuff. Yeah. Okay, so the last person I'm going to look at in here is the wonderfully named Ian Hare, and you can you know he's certainly living up to. Yeah. It's not quite Brian Kidd. You know yeah. levels of hair, but you know the fact that he's also called Ian Hair, yeah, you know, yeah. G- gives him that extra. You know bonus. what? From a distance, he looks like my mate who's just got a job at Tottenham. Meet Trevor Birch, right? I don't know if you've ever seen Trevor Birch. If you had a picture, but you put the two of them together, they could be, uh, <laughs> could look. be quite, uh, could be related. Yeah, I'll look out for that. So with that, we've got to the end of the magazine. What's going on with your your life at the moment, David? What's what are you up to? Yeah, well, I do, you know, do some bits and pieces with Liverpool, which is, uh, and then, and I've, I'm a director of a of a, of a company that that um, tries to introduce innovation, um, largely from the US to to the UK and and beyond, really, if we if, if we can, um, which has been fascinating because we I came into it in a kind of a medical sense, or with a medical kind of um, tar- with medical targets. But we found ourselves, you know, we, we've kind of not not so much. We haven't diversified too far away from that, but it's 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 not as it's not as medical perhaps as um, as we, we we first sort of imagined the business was going to be. Mm-hmm. So that's um, so a thing called Medisport, Medisport, um, Medisport Scientific Innovations. So it's kind of a long title, but it's mm-hmm. it's uh, you know, kind of says it all. What yeah. it's you know. What, what, what we do. And how, how's it been lockdown with you? Um, have you been dealing with it okay? Has it been a... Well, been lockdown was awkward because I um, uh, unfortunately picked up the virus oh. uh, in March, right. laid me up. What, what I did find was that it kind of made me susceptible to other things. Right. And, I, and I kind of had, I picked up two or three other illnesses on the back of it. I had shingles, which is, I wouldn't recommend to anybody. Uh, and I had another couple of um, picked up another couple of viruses, which um, all came about because of you know my immunity. Mm-hmm. So it's been a, it was a bit tricky for for five or six weeks of the of, of the lockdown. Yeah. Um, 
and the biz, the, like thankfully, you know, fit and, and up and about now, and, and and the business is back to you know we're we're kind of now also finding that what we do. Uh, and the people we want to speak to are more available to, mm-hmm. you know, so we're, we're, we're kind of, um, we're, we're busy at the moment. And we, we, we've just about to launch it to, to introduce a new product into uh, the timing of it is, is quite sort of, um, we were talking about this afternoon. It's quirky the way it's all come around because this, this is very much suited to the time that we're in this, right. uh, this, this one product. Mm-hmm. So. What's the atmosphere like around Liverpool now back at the, back at the top? Well, I mean, a lot of the people would like to think that it's going to be, you know, exciting and great again. But un- until I think we feel as if we're part of it and, you know, in the stadium, I think, you know, some Liverpool, you know, or I mean, obviously I'm talking to all a lot. Most of the time I speak to all the, all the Liverpool fans and that. Um, they're not excited as, as, as yeah, yeah. they want to be because yeah. we, we've been kind of so... Sort of dis, you know, disjointed. It. It's all, yeah, sure. it's all been sad the way that having chased it for so long. Mm. But we weren't a part of the, the 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 culmination of it, and it was it was, it was fantastic, and it was a fantastic story. You know, we were flying towards the, winning the title. Uh, it looked like we were, you know, we, we weren't that far away from it when it when it all went to lockdown early March, yeah. and um, and the fans just weren't part of it. So it's been a bit sad, really, that we've missed out on on some on some great nights and events at Anfield. Yeah. What do you think chances are of retaining the title? Well, I, mean, I think that I think they start off. Um, I think there's no reason to think that they're, they're not one of two favourites. I think mm-hmm. it'd be difficult to to rule out City. Um, I think Man, Man United, given their due, are trying all that yeah. all that they can to attract. Maybe coming uh, back. Yeah. Put a real super ta- uh, superstar team together. Um, I think Liverpool's threat is going to come from either of those two. Myself, I spoke to a couple of the lads. Spoke to one of the boys on at the weekend. Doesn't think United will feature, but I, mm. I, I think United are going to be a tough team to beat this year. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't, think, I don't, I don't think they've finished article at the back, but they've got a lot of goal, th- goal threat. So that's you know, it, it's, um, it's it's going to be an interesting year, and it's always the hardest, always the hardest thing is to defend def, defend the title, isn't it? You know, winning it is is not not so much easy, but it, it's easier um, than than defending it. You've got the targets on your back. Yeah. Listen, David, I'd like to thank you for spending the, the evening with us. It's been an absolute pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed it. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, David. No bother. Um, and what I'll do is I'll make sure, because I follow you on Twitter, so I'll make sure that all these images right. and stuff, I'll, I'll get them sent to you, especially the ones yeah, that you've yeah. not seen. But yeah, again, thank you. It's been absolutely brilliant. Talking to yeah. you. Um, I'm, I'm, I, don't, so, I don't do. I don't do much on Twitter really. I, I have my moments. It's generally support the charities that I'm. So. Yeah. So I'll just say uh, we'd like to say a special thanks to Pete Wiley of the Mighty Wah for the use of Story of the Blues in the music of our show. So you can catch up with Pete on PeteWiley.co.uk, and you can check out the details of upcoming gigs and new music when that starts happening again. And we'd also like to thank a producer, Diane Jardin, for the great work and support on the podcast. Please check out transmissionroom.co.uk where you can book music, recording and rehearsal facilities in Clyde Bank. And on that, again, just a big thank you to David Fairclough for, for joining us and Shoot the Breeze here. So thank you, David. Thank you, guys. It's been uh, been fun. Yeah, a lot of uh, pleasant memories. Uh, some, some really interesting stuff. Thanks. Great stuff. And as always, I'd like to thank Tom for being Tom. Thank you, Andy. And thank you to everyone out there listening. Please share the podcast with your friends. Give us some feedback. Go to the website, 
read through the, the web pages with it, donate, just get involved. Until the next time, let's shoot the breeze.